I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. We've had a little break and we're back. We've waited for some transfers to build up. Not all of them have been announced yet, actually. There's, I'd say, some big hitters out there unconfirmed yet, but we'll start working our way through a few of them. We have Alperson de Kernick, Sudal Quickstep, like, oh, I don't know why all these sponsors just do some sort of musical chairs around <laughs> these Belgian teams. No lotto today. Uh, Bike Exchange we will do. They've been very active, as well as Intermarche, and a little word on UNOX, who have a big name signing for them as well. But yeah, there's a fair few runners out there who are unconfirmed. We'll wait till official confirmations come through. But we even know some riders like Cavendish are most likely leaving uh, some of these teams, Sudal, Quickstep. But as always, this show is brought to you by our show partner, Zwift, and Tom Pidcock, who I think received pretty long extension from Ineos at some point this year. He's heading to Zwift to relive his heroics on stage 12, the outdoor stage of this year's tour, and he wants you to join him and hundreds of other Zwifters. This will be a more social ride than his rampaging, descending, and 43-minute ascent to the 21 switchbacks of the outdoors during the tour. He's riding up Alpha Zwift at 6 p.m., British Standard Time, 7 p.m. European Time, so a bit behind during the day in America on Monday. So head to Zwift.com to get your free trial. Sign up to the event via the link in the description or on the Zwift companion app and ride with the Grand Tour stage-winning Olympic and world champion in multi-sports, Tom Peacock, from the comfort of your own home, if after Zwift can be described as comfortable. But first team, Alperson de Koenig, they had De Koenig come over from De Koenig Quickstep last year. Certain Kra Anderson's in from Team DSM, as well as Quinton Hermans from Intermarche. Hermans is 27. He's had his best road season ever, second at uh, Liège Baston Liège, won uh, a Baloise stage, third on GC there. He's in the prime of his career, one would think. Søren Cry Anderson as well. 28, he had his best season in 2020. But this season, despite fifth at Genvevelhem, he was taken out of the Tour de France squad. And there was the, the, the minute we heard of Benji, the minute we heard the saddle height story that leaked, <laughs> which was then denied, but then... I sounds very true to me. I was like, he's gone. And they didn't take him to a Danish Grand Depart, Tour de France. So he's leaving DSM. And it's a huge bolster for uh, for Alperson Phoenix, Benji, Alperson de Koenig, because 
I don't think these guys are going to be on like Tim Wellens UAE money. I think they're going to be, they're not cheap, but I don't think they're going to be uh, tens of millions a year. Yeah, certainly. I think it's a big difference compared to a Tim Wellens, for example, at least in the terms of the money that he would receive at UAE, for example. But it's similar. The story with Hermans as with Kroa Andersen also was not introduced in the Tour de France this year. I think True. it was as a consequence of this signing was rumored to be at least in Belgian media. But both of those cases similar and they came from teams in which their relationship with the team was not optimal and they decided to join Alpecin. And I actually see quite a few good things from this transfer, for example. I think if I look at Alpecin de Koenig and we spot the myth, the man, the legend, Van der Poel, Mathieu Van der Poel, their rider who often has to carry races by himself in classics races. And maybe that's not giving enough credit to a riders like Johnny Vermeers, for example, who has been quite supportive in some classics. But if we think about Mathieu Van der Poel, we often think about a rider that has to respond very vigilantly to a lot of attacks, left and right. He needs to do a lot himself in classics. He needs to open up races early to make sure that bigger teams cannot counter him with numbers, for example. And I think the transfer of both Søren Kra Andersen and Quinton Hermans have a serious effect on the cobble squad of Alpecin next season. If Johnny Vermeer is in good form and so forth, that's also adding to that. I think it just makes the team stronger. More riders that can get into the final of these races, especially Søren Kra Andersen, although Hermans' potential for these cobble races is often probably underrated still. I think these are both great transfers for that. Adding to that, this team doesn't have a GC rider. So in Grand Tours, they hunt for stages with Aldani in the Giro, for example, Van der Poel left and right as well, Philipsen in the Tour this year. Like At every Grand Tour, this team is hunting for stages, and I think both of these riders fit that bill. What's your take on that? Yeah, definitely. So in Cry Anderson's... Uh... He's not just a ruler, like he won two Tour de France stages with late attacks, that Lyon stage, maybe stage 14, that was a great move, great timing. He was trying things like that this year, maybe in the Dauphiné, I think, or Paris-Nice, uh, just didn't work out. And more importantly, I think for Van der Poel, as a domestique, or not just as domestique, maybe as a second threat, this mm-hmm. guy's top 10 Milano San Remo in back-to-back yep. years. And you remember, he's the reason... Jasper Sturvin won Milano San Remo. Jasper Sturvin doesn't win MSR without Søren Kra attacking to him and pulling him and then not getting second, but he was the reason. <laughs> and uh, the problem is Van der Poel's sprint's not good enough where if Ewan's in the group, you just say, oh, Søren, get on the front and pull, but maybe he's the guy who can pull a late attack back. Maybe he's a guy... Didn't he... Didn't he attack or wasn't he the last guy to close yeah. Pagaccia on Poggio this year? Perhaps not even only closing. I swear he actually made a move himself on the yeah. latter part of the Poggio this year. And that shows the strength of Søren Kronerson and perhaps the fact that people low-key underrate him. He peaked for that Sanremo based on what I could see at his strength there. I also think there was like this thing at the Cobble Classics and the Hill Classics where the team wanted to send him to the Hill Classics, and I heard some rumors in Danish media that he wanted to ride a Cobble Classics, and then last minute he did ride a Cobble Classic, but then didn't he get COVID at some point, and then didn't do the... I don't even know. There was some drama with the Cobble and Hill Classics and his selection for the Cobble Classics or he something. Didn't, he's a DNS on Tour of Flanders, so you might be right with the illness or sickness, because uh, he came 17th in Dwarves Dour on the Wednesday yeah. before. Um, what do you think... 
Will he join their Amstel Liège squad, or do you see him as MSR, Cobble Classics, stage hunting, Tour de France, maybe Vuelta? I see Søren Kranderson as uh, Sanremo, Cobble, and Amstel, while I see Hermans as, honestly, Cobble and Hills could both work for Hermans because he's done well at LBL this year as well, very well that podium, so... I think that's why they can combine both there. When it comes to their Grand Tours, I don't know. I haven't like scoped the entire team of of Alpes in here. Do you think Quinton Hermans could play a role as lead out with his history as sprinter himself? Eh, he's 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 little. I think Cern Kra mm-hmm. is a better lead out because Alpes's lead out before Ricard uh, got sick or injured was sort of the third last man. Like Van der Poel's actually a, not a terrible, but Van der Poel's <laughs> not a good lead-out man. Third last man, Van der Poel, he'll go at 1,400 and then be like, I'm going to do dump a watt burst on everybody behind me and puts people under pressure and he maybe goes into gaps. So Sohn Kraft thinks he's a bit smoother. I think he's a third last man, fourth last man. He could be really good as a setup man for the sprinters they're signing. What's... Interesting here is, I mean, again, if they're each on 2 million euro, if Alperson have signed Quinton Hermans and said, you came second at LBL, you're going to do that again. I'm not convinced of that. Like, Intermarche got guys going really, really well. I'm not sure you can expect him to do that. And also, was that lucky? A little bit, maybe, the way it came back together. But it, it depends on the money. If they're on less money, these look, Benji, like quick step signings. Two, two versatile classics one-day guys who can stage hunt, who can maybe do a lead-out, who can win races, particularly Herman's punchy finish, and yet they're going to Alperson on maybe not a million each a year. So I think, like, and we'll get to quick step in a second, but are you surprised that riders of that quality, who pro- presumably have options at other teams, are now going to Alberson de Koenig, who I think will be World Tour next year. I think it's related to the focus of the two teams we're judging right now. We're looking at Alperson and Quickstep now in this specific situation. And we see that Alperson is a team that was a pro team, is now building into a World Tour team next season by that promotion that they have. And the question is, what were they going to do? Were they going to keep the focus on what they did already, which was cobbles, but strengthen the cobble team itself and also improve the sprinting aspect of it? Very similar to what Quickstep did four, five, three years ago, where they had two sprinters at Quickstep and a cobble team that could do well in the cobbles uh, based on the numeric advantage that they had on other teams, for example. But then we look at Quickstep and... Does it feel like the quick step focus is changing and therefore Alperson is becoming the quick step of three, four years ago, or at least when it comes to the focus? I, I definitely think Alperson Alperson is staying in their lane. I made I, I said a comment maybe when we we're talking about them going world tour, and I was saying, oh well, they now have to broaden their squad, they have to sign some climbers, they gotta get some GC guys. And I was like Wood signing, let's pick, like Felix Groschartner, who's gone to UAE, he's top 10 yeah. a, a Grand Tour. Would that yeah. make Alpes and Phoenix better or more attractive to sponsors? Or should they stay in their lane, do what you said Quickstep used to always do, 
stack sprinters, stack versatile classics guys, and just do what you're best at. And you'll also score a shitload of points doing so. And that seems to be their focus. Now, quick step we'll get to in a second, but yeah, they seem to be, I don't actually know what their exact plan is. I <laughs> think I, I know what their plan sort of should be, but yeah, I think speaking for myself, I like the Sir and Crow one. I think he could be really good. He's in his prime. Herman's, he might underperform relative to the contract he got. You're signing a guy off his best ever career result that might not be replicable. Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't, but I, I I wonder if he lives up to that contract. Maybe he does. They'll have a good schedule for him. Now, the two sprinters we're talking about, both Australian. Um, so, like, I love to see, well, both the different ends of the spectrum, or not or one in the middle of their career, one just starting. Plowrights come from Group Armour FTG Conti, which is like, the factory for just talent under 23 talent at the moment if you remember on lantern rouge youtube channel there's a bay crits video won by wellsford like two years ago it had groves wellsford plowright durbridge in it it's the most stacked january criterion you'd ever <laughs> see whereas groves from bike exchange he will be on more money than merlier was merlier i think they they pulled him out of the like what he was racing amateur commesses in his own oh. kit, wasn't he? That's what they pulled him out of. Didn't he ride for the same team as Van Aert at Verandas Willems at some point, or am I just making that up? I vaguely uh, remember that. He I was could on, be wrong there. In 2020, the start of 2020, I'm pretty sure he might have been riding. I know he's on the um the cyclocross team but they yeah. signed him late in his 20s in 2020 i think and the start of the year yeah yeah he was doing uh maybe maybe i'm lying maybe i'm making it up but uh they they had him on a good contract i think and they've replaced him with groves who also has some results but also hasn't won a tour stage hasn't won a giro stage hasn't got the real huge results or won you know semi belgian classics what do you think? Like Philipson's clearly still Tour de France, hundred percent Benji. So what, yeah. what's the role for Groves? Is it Giro? Is it just the quick step of old again? I actually really like how this how this comes into play because if we analyze the way that Philipson has grown at Alpeson, we notice that he spent quite a few years first at UAE. He had his breakout win there at Santos Fernandes, ended up joining Alpeson and. He came there in the shadow of Merlier, basically. And they are very different sprinters. Merlier is the kind of sprinter that is better on the pure flat sprints, I'd argue, compared to the hilly terrain. And next to that, he also hasn't competed more than, I think, 10 stages in a Grand Tour. So there's not that finishing Grand Tour factor when it comes to Merlier. But when it comes to Philipson, there was the aspect that he can get over a hill or two. He has the versatility to get over hills, reduce sprints in that sense. And that showed in one of the Velta stages he won last year, for example. But when we look at Groves, we see that similarity. But Philipson has now broken properly out, in my opinion, in 2022. He properly broke out in the Tour de France. He got those victories he deserved after getting second places last year all the time. Caden Groves is not there yet. I think I see Caden Groves as Philipson... 1.5 1.5 to 2 years ago when it comes to the results he was getting and I think Caden Groves has the potential of growing into the rider that 
Philipson has now become. And that is the aim that he should be going for. He should be trying to aim for just that bike exchange. I think he's going to the Vuelta this year, Caden Groves. Perhaps he can get a stage win there, a Vuelta stage win, something like that. Next year, it's likely Philipson Tour de France still for me. So perhaps a, a Giro Vuelta, something like that. When it comes to Groves again, until he, unless he really proves something extra there. But I think that across the next year and a half to two years, what I do I like to see from Groves is him growing into the spot that Philipson has grown into now. And that's why I like the two-year contract, because then in 2025, if they become similar, they don't necessarily have to stay in the same team anymore and can go to a different team without a drama for the Tour de France, you know? And maybe Groves gets too expensive, and if they're both equal in ability, you keep the Belgian rider on a Belgian team um, as well, or you don't want to sign both top yep. top sprinters you see them presumably not matching quick steps offer to tim Millier. two results really stand out for me from caden groves this year and as benji said like he's not he's not broken out he won the catalonia stage two it's a world tour race i grant you but it's it was against bauhaus hofstede of vernon milano it, it yeah. wasn't it's not against jakobsen groenewegen and phillips and you and guys Although I think in Tour of Turkey, he beat Philipson, uh, yeah, Philipson, Bennett, and Ewan. So they saw how fast he was there. But two results stand out. The first is Cambril Stage 6 at Catalonia. That's the 100K Carapazagita raid stage. That was rainy, miserable, and Groves made it around that circuit in the peloton, in the UAE chasing group. And he won that reduced sprint. And if they'd caught those two, he would have won that stage. And yep. he must have done reasonable numbers there. The second is Tour de Polonia stage, I think, two or no, three. It's the stage which he wasn't able to compete in at all. But there was a collection of three climbs. And he did, I think, around six watts per kilo, higher for a couple of them below for another couple, around six watts per kilo for six minutes, three times. Uh, with a short rest in between and that's really really high level fitness for a sprinter and it's as Benji said for Philipson like think about the Tour de France this year how few pure sprints there were if your sprinter cannot get around lumpy parkour it drastically reduces the number of world tour stages they can win each year parkour organizers are clearly seeing we can't make this shit pancake flat we we have to put a hill at 10Ks. We have yeah. like Arctic race today. We have to put a collection of little hills at 20Ks to give something, you know, in Catalonia, we always see it cut the Calaya first stage. And if you've got Jakobsen, well, just you got you to draw a line through half the sprints all year. And with Groves and Philipson, they know, okay, they're going to make it around. And okay, they might not win all of them. Philipson last year, he didn't win a lot of them. But if you're in the picture, you got to be in it to win it. And so, yeah, Groves, what do I expect from him next year? I don't know. Like, what lead-out <laughs> will he get? Will his lead-out be as good a, a bike, as a bike exchange? He'll be the second-tier wow. one? I don't know. They, they delivered Mareshko to stages where he could win this year. So I trust Alperson Mareshko to be able to get Groves though. victories. Groves as well. I rate no. Groves higher than Mareshko. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you didn't last year. Uh, you, did, yeah, you never rate... Yeah, I, you I know who... 
eh, Matt, I don't want to talk about my glorified Condi Sprinter take anymore. <laughs> you know who also won some uh, Tour of Fuju sprints? Blake Quick. So you know how he's going to go on bike exchange. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> those those Chinese sprints or Asian sprints, they're where the Australians uh, cut their teeth. But anyway, uh, the other signing was Conchi, who did well at Slovenia, and he was from the Alberton development team. He's gone over to the main team, one-year contract, I think. Um, otherwise, the riders who are out of contract, we know that I think Murdoch's got extended, fine, whatever. Merlier's left. I kind of was surprised by that, um, that they didn't want to re-up him and that they went with, like, Melia must have asked more than what Groves asked for because you'd think they'd keep the Belgian guy they brought. Um, brought or Merlier wanted to leave because I did hear from like ah, in TDF. the Belgium depths of the media there were some rumors when it comes to not necessarily TDF alone but also the cooperation between Merlier and Philipson was not great because I heard a story in the depths, the crevices of Belgium that there was a race where one of them said that the other needed to be of the start list, otherwise they would not ride that day. And I'll be honest, I don't remember where I heard this story or what race it was about, but if that story is actually true, then there's clearly something, some hair in the butter is what we would say in Belgium, which is uh, not a tasty thing. Well, I mean, the one that didn't work this year, where because last year it looked all rosy. Merlier won stage, uh, the first sprint stage at CDF, and then he let out Philipson to come second and the others. Uh, Vavelhem this year, Benji, remember they were in that group, and Merlier came eight seconds behind, yep. and Philipson was in that group. Now, I don't know if they pulled for each other, but yeah, no, they that they was didn't. where it kind of didn't work. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Um, and so he's off. But I, I was kind of surprised by that. Guys, I think they should extend. Just another list of people who are uh, available. The particular one is Guillaume Van Keer's book. He was good in Roubaix. He's just like a serviceable ruler, domestic, um, you know, not earth-shattering. But I think he's a solid rider, and I think they should uh, extend him. But, yeah, any last thoughts on Alberson to Koenig, Benji? Um, do you think – I don't know. Do you, what do you think of Plower right next year? I reckon he wins. I <laughs> the Australian. He wins some, he's, yeah, I mean, he must be good. Wow, we got to talk about the legendary Nikola Konchi. Eh? I think that, he, didn't, wasn't he the guy in Slovenia that caught up to Pogacar and Micah on that one stage in the descent? And then Pogacar had to attack Micah to drop Konchi on the final hill. And I then Pogacar so. ended up winning the stage. I think that was Nikola Konchi. He's the so. guy that caught them on the... Um, yeah, the when they were screaming about the tires descent. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's his claim to fame. Anyway, that was Alberson to Koenig. We don't I don't mind their signings. I think it's quite quite good business from what I can see, although we yeah. obviously don't know the salaries for anyone. The next one, Sudar Quickstep, who are probably who Alberson to Koenig have been modeling a lot of their team on. They have Jan Hurtin from Intermarche want to go, go bear after a huge season. I think he's about 31 years old, uh, won a Giro stage, won Tour of Oman. They signed Tim Mullier from Alperson to Koenig. They don't, as of yet, they haven't signed. Well, last year, for, remember last year, was Cavendish on probably decent money or like mm-hmm. from a team perspective. Jakobsen on the extension after his crash or recovery and then they signed a young neo-pro, Ethan Vernon, probably on the minimum. This year, they've gone for Merlier, who presumably is on a bit, of, a fair bit of money. They've signed him, Belgian, 
and they've got Casper Pedersen in Danish rider, so he must be friends with Merku from DSM, and he's <laughs> mooted to be. I think he won Paris Tour last year in a two-up sprint. Um, he's mooted to be the Merku replacement, who even has looked like he's taken a little bit of a step back this year, which no shame in that. He's nearing forty, but you know they're planning for the lead-out evolution. What my question is, Benji. One climber and a pure climber at that, Jan hits like 60 kilos. He's yeah. not like a Catano sort of Masnada climber, even. Uh, an expensive ish sprinter who's got a Tour de France stage win and a lead out man. This, they have an aging classic squad at the uh, Sudar Quickstep. Can they stop changing the names? At, at Lefebvre's <laughs> team. You know, Kaiser, he might be retiring. Lampard, I think he's extending. Stein Steele, Stiebar, I think he's been told he's leaving or won't be getting renewed. He's looking elsewhere. Dries Davenines is nearing 40. Where's the classics rebolstering? I feel like it's not necessarily there unless they see Merlier as the type of rider that is able to become more than the sprinter he proved in hand Babelham that he could get over those cobbles but a lot of people did in that race so is there an opportunity for quick step to make sure he can get over more cobbles and suddenly actually play a role in cobble races i don't know what is in their mind in that sense but we do see a change but it's a a very small one in that sense we we know that sudal brought in extra money but I will still call the team Quick Step the entire way through because otherwise it becomes very confusing. Kasper Peterson is a a rider that could potentially be part of their cobble team, but I need to see it first before I believe it. When it comes, yeah, he's to a his... nice rider. Yeah, exactly. But his last season just wasn't great at all. He probably also focused on the track side quite a bit, if my mind serves me right, because I swear he has the same track background as Merku has, and perhaps that is where the lead-out possibilities come from in this squad. But I agree, Jan Hirt is that addition to the team that could play a role in strengthening the team around Remco Evenepoel, but there's only Jan Hirt as the addition to that. Elon van Welder is looking pretty good when it comes to support there. Louis Vervaken has not been outrageously bad this season either, but this is not the team that shouts, oh, we're going to bring Remco Evenepoel to a Grand Tour victory, unless you are called Lantern Rouge, and you think that he's going to win already at the end of 2022 for example yes facts i mean <laughs> i agree with what you're saying like casper Pedersen, you know he's 26 as it signing a 26 year old who's shown something from dsm has to be a decent move like there's decent upside there in recent history um so i don't mind that his schedule's been a bit weird to see the races they've sent him to as well and like merlier Jan Vevelham, for example, I just checked. Jakobsen got dropped, finished seven minutes back. Merlier made that group. So maybe they're thinking he has a bit more resistance on those climbs. And Jakobsen's a pure stage race sprinter. And so we have we need more versatility. But even, I mean, Jakobsen won Kerner. So yeah, it seems a bit... It seems to me, Benji, that I would have expected them to sign Plowright and not pay the money to Merlier and say, no, we'll get Plowright to win these semi-classics, build him up on Vernon... We don't pay money for, to bring in Tour de France stage winning sprinters. Like, no offense, but I'm also not considering Plowright the old god Australian sprinting talent yet. But it doesn't matter. Quick step, that's what Quick step do. They make you that. Agreed. But when it comes to Marlier, we also need to add in the factor we're talking about versatility in those one day races compared to Jakobsen, who is more the stage race rider in that sense. But 
Merli, when he comes to a Grand Tour, is the one that gets oh, dropped yeah. on every bloody hill in the first week and gets out of the race by day 10. So there's nothing proven in that aspect yet. And that's why I feel like it's clear to me that Jakobsen is still the sprinter for 2023 when it comes to the Tour de France, unless something crazy happens when it comes to a transformation for Merli himself. I don't believe he has the right to call for the Tour de France spot at this team already. Or am I wrong? Should he have re-signed Cavendish? I mean, they should have taken Cavendish to the Tour. I will <laughs> go, go to my deathbed saying that. And you'd have Cavendish, right? He's not allowed to contest the first two-stage sprints, but then he's allowed to contest the rest. <laughs> and they would have won more stages, just facts. But yeah, like, Cavendish, no. I, I don't think they... I presume Cavendish is looking for a decent contract um, yeah. after his results, and I don't think they, the team, particularly with their other ambitions, to go for it. Lampard, again, Benji, like, this always happens in cycling. Because, the, because it rained in Denmark on stage one in the TT and the weather changed, Lampard won. Now, that's a great result. It happened, you know, it's, it, got, it was a bit fortunate. Is it how replicable is it? Is Lampard suddenly a top six time trialist in the world? I don't really think no. so. Should you pay the like pay him the bonus? He's he's got the bonus for the contract, but should you extend him, given the premium, pay more because of that result? I'm of the view no, and that's the same with like Sturvin winning Milano San Remo. Like, is that what's the chance of winning San Remo again? Probably gonna win it next year, but I think it's low. So are they going to extend Lampard or have they already with a big, big contract? Because here's the thing, Benji, this is what we've all been leading to. Are Quickstep even trying to be Quickstep anymore? And we've said they should be, I've said they should be focusing on even a poll. And they signed here. That's clearly to be a domestic one would think for even a poll and stage races, but 60 kilo climbing domestics are not as valuable as 70 kilo ones. Yeah. And, but who else have they signed? It seems to me they're happy with a core of Van Sevenon, Masnada, Vavica, Dries Devenons, Alaphilippe Van Wilder, and Heert. Is that enough? Was there someone on the market? Should they, like, who should they have gone for? Do they need more in that department? I think when it comes to the team. I'll be honest, like when it comes to the transfer market in 2022, I feel like there was not that much on the market in terms of like support for a ground tour leader. And there's other teams also looking to that for that very same support. Like every single team wants support for their leader. So the prices are going to be significant. So I think it's really hard to build a, a GC team and that some people are properly underrating it. That being said, Jan Hirt is a good addition to the team. Is it enough? I don't think so. I mean, I tweeted. I said they need to sign Jan Hirt. They need to sign Walt Poles. They need to sign, I don't know who else I said. And then, I don't know if that was before or after Hirt won a Giro stage. But, like, once they win the stage, yeah. they then it's not money ball anymore. Like, I would go after Nick Schultz. He's not, he didn't win it. So, because, because Nick Schultz got beaten in a bike throw by Magnus Court, he costs less. Does that mean yeah. he's worse as a domestique? No, completely irrelevant. So yeah. over Nick Schultz. One centimeter is worse. Yeah, well, yeah. On that stage, he was a centimeter or two worse. One <laughs> Poles I would have liked for Avenipol. One Poles also brings 
Like, I don't think it's coincidence that Poles was involved in Haig's welter podium or involved in many of Sky's yep. Grand Tour victories. There clearly must be, maybe more than Froome knows, some institutional knowledge embedded in him that Quickstep need to bring out on how to win stage races with Avonapol. Davide Formolo, I would have liked for them as a versatile domestique for Avonapol, good in the Ardennes, really think he could have done well uh, at Quickstep. And yeah, so there there were some guys, and, and it's what Benji said, these guys are not cheap. And that's the extra cost of building a GC team. You look look at those Peak Sky teams. Like they got domestiques all on seven yep. figures. Richie Port for Froome. And that's the problem. It's unless you're incredibly smart, unless you're signing, scouting, you know, Gino Maida off yep. Quebecer and Ben O'Connor off Quebecer and you get them on, you know, cheap deals, which Quickstep haven't, well, then you got to pay. And it, it looks like they're kind of not. And they're happy. I mean, actually, I take that back. Van Wilder looks good. Yeah. But the question that I have for you is, when it comes to the value that we say, oh, it's super expensive to buy a, a mountain domestique compared to a different rider. Let's put that in perspective. Let's say the Metalier versus Woutpools. I'd think that that salary exactly. is much closer than you'd think. Uh, it's a good, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. But that's, that's the thing where if I'm Remco and I'm like, Sudals and Quickstep did not sign, at least from what we can, what I think, did not sign a five-year contract to sponsor this team because of Tim Merlier. It's because of Remco Evenepoel. And so I would like that money spent on Davide <laughs> Formolo or Mark Pools on those sort of riders. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see where they're going. Now, but, maybe it was a soft market. Um, like, I don't think they should have signed Carapaz or anyone like that. But, I don't know, I, I would have done things a little bit differently if I was Quickstep. And I, I think maybe, Benji, they don't... I think Quickstep are much better at scouting a young sprinter or a young classics rider than a, a, a high mountain domestique on good on a good team friendly contract. Agreed. Are we underrating the amount of money that an Alaphilippe and Evenepoel costs more every time they win a World Championships or a Monument? Like Evenepoel won LBL, for example. Alaphilippe won a second World Championships, even though Lefebvre says that he doesn't care unless he wins, and then suddenly he cares again. It's still a value for that rider that goes up. Are we underrating the money that this team has to pay extra every single time their riders win? Oh, it depends on the team, depends on the contract. Some teams, the sponsors pay the bonus almost directly to the rider. So the team doesn't, um, like, there's a back-to-back arrangement. Whereas, because, like, if Avonapol wins LBL and the sponsor money or budget to Quickstep is fixed, and then, like, Quickstep have to magic up his bonus. That's not how it works because then the team just yeah well, might not have the money. Um, <laughs> so that's that's less of a problem. Maybe if their bonuses are done, some riders have bonuses where they don't get paid the bonus, but their next year's contract goes up by X amount. And does the, I mean, does the sponsor kick that in? I'm not exactly sure. But, yeah, it's it's interesting to see with Quickstep they did win a monument this year. We'll see, obviously, Remco win the Vuelta without, you know, he'll do that anyway, so this is all moot. But <laughs> they got the aging classics team, no Cavendish. 
Are they giving Ramco the luck support? It, it's just interesting to me that watching their transition. Um, but yeah, any last thoughts on Sudal, Quickstep, Alpha yeah. Final, Omega Pharma? I do think that this team has been hindered a lot in the classics when it comes to illnesses and injuries to the point that I think Asgrim. this year might not be the most significant year to identify whether next year they're going to be similar. I think we will see a better Asgreen next year, like you mentioned, for example. The Clerk will be back, hopefully, in the most important yeah. races because it was gone in the most important ones this year. That's significant impact on the squad of Quickstep and so forth. So, I don't know. Stibar leaving, I don't really have too much issue with that. I do think that is probably a, a good pickup for some other teams on the market. Yep. But just in general, when it comes to Quickstep, I've got the feeling that the classic season this year might not be the one to judge them on for next year. And do you think Asgren, Tour of California, Asgren can do like Wout Van Aert light for Avonapol in soft, soft sort of climbs? Oh, I think that I would say yes, but I don't know. Ah, it's a difficult one, eh? Because he's part of the sprint train when he goes to a Grand Tour. He's going to be part of the climbing train as well. I think he can play a role, but Wout van Aert Light is a bit of a significant uh, name, even if you add the light to it. I I don't know what I would compare it to. I'd say this year in the Tour de France, we saw Van Barle having a bit of a weaker Tour de France when it comes to being a domestique for Skinios. And I'd say if we... Put that in perspective, Asgreen could have that role, but I'd say still a tiny bit less, or am I underrating Asgreen now? I don't think he can do Van Baal's 2018 Galibier pool, but I, I think he can do a pretty good job on a, on a 7K, 7% climb as long as people aren't attacking. But that's Sudal, quick step, a lot of changes. Cavendish out, we'll see where he lands in a second as we move on to Bike Exchange, Jayco. Perhaps one of the most active in the market in terms of the teams so far in the early August. Remember, we're 12 days into the official <laughs> transfer window. Eddie Dunbar in from Ineos to Bike Exchange, Jayco. One Tour to Hungary GC, one Settimana GC this year. His first couple of pro wins. Chris Harper in from Yumbo Visma, Rudy Porter and Blake Quick. A pairing from Trinity Racing. Filippo Zana, who won... Oh, it was Italian one of those Italian. They had a test on. He won a race. Anyone Italian national champs for <laughs> Rombardiani and Felix Engelhart from Tyrol KT, KTM. That's where uh, Steinhauser came from, went to EF this year. So, what's curious to me, and by the way, outgoings, which is kind of relevant, we've already talked a, a lot about Caden Groves, which is interesting. Like, developing Australian sprinter, sign his Neopro contract at Bike Exchange, and then he's off after coming good. And then Nick Schultz, uh, Daniel Benson at Velo News, said that he believes Schultz has, he said, he tweeted, that Schultz has been offered an extension or was offered and seems to be leaving. And so, which is curious to me, but Dunbar Benji, a lot's been said about, and, and I think he's a nice rider, don't get me wrong, but I don't think Eddie Dunbar's been signed on the basis or on the salary to just be like a fourth, like a Damien House. I think he's been signed to like target World Tour GC top tens and be like a premium mountain domestique for Simon Yates, who I believe they've extended as well. 
do you think it all depends on the money, but what do you expect from Dumba? Like, do you think he is a marquee signing or just like a, a nice rider? So first, when it comes to what I personally expect when it comes to Eddie Dunbar is that I currently see this as a rider that has done well in, let's be honest about it, pro races, not necessarily broken through significantly, lost that mountain hill stage at Hungary while willing GC, I think from Tiberi in the end, on that uphill finish. Like, he's shown that he can compete on these races, but he hasn't necessarily shown to dominate these races. And he was very strong at the race we mentioned earlier this year, I think, Copia Bartali. And I feel like the next step for Eddie Dunbar is hunting a World Tour stage win. He has not necessarily gotten the stage win below that of a significant manner. But once you go to Bike Exchange, you're in a Grand Tour setting and you've got opportunities to go for stage in World Tour stage races. And that is one of the goals, I'd say, a World Tour stage win. Next to that, I'd argue that the step that they're going to take and something I'd like to see Dunbar try, but it depends on what his role in the team is going to be, is a World Tour top 10 in GC. I don't know which race I'm calling that yet. He hasn't Bologna. proven that yet. <laughs> that, oh, f- fuck Bologna when it comes to this. No offense. like Not the you country, a, but the race. I mean a decent, important, valuable top 10 in World Tour. Like... A Tour de Suisse, for example, a race like that is what yeah. I'd like a Dunbar to try a top 10 in GC from. He was strong in Tour de Suisse, I think, two years ago in Carapaz 1. He came 12th last year. The... Ah, when he exactly. was domestique. His full-blown so, domestique for Carapaz. So does that say that he can get a top 10 if he goes for himself? I want to see that. Because taking leadership instead of being a domestique, something completely different. And it's also a factor of can he do the same that he did at Ineos for a Carapaz, at Bike Exchange for example, for himself, for example. Next to those two goals, I do agree that he's likely going to play a role in supporting Simon Yates in Grand Tours. And the question there is, what do we expect from Dunbar as a domestique as well for a Simon Yates and a Grand Tour? And I'd say I currently see him as an average domestique with the potential of becoming a stronger domestique or showing himself as a as a stronger domestique like that Tour de Suisse for Carapaz, for example. But I want to see it first. And that hasn't happened yet. So I hope they're not paying him on the basis that it's going to happen, but on the basis that it could happen. That makes sense? Yeah, I agree with that uh, for sure. If you're paying him on the basis that this guy... We're going to send Yates to Giro. We're going to send Dunbar to another race to be GC leader. I just... I don't see it like uh, there's a a belief that Ineos can stifle some riders and I would say Eddie Dunbar should be grateful that Ineos I think Ineos did him a favor this year by the way sending him to Settimana sending him to the Tour de Hungary instead of being a Giro domestique and maybe not performing in the high mountains I think Eddie Dunbar should be thankful for Ineos. And I think that might have made his contract a bit better. Now, there's a couple of teams where if you if a team signs a rider from there, like maybe Laporte to Jumbo Visma from Cofidis, you think there's some untapped potential there. That rider can be improved, even though they've been a pro for five, seven years. I would say signing Ineos and Jumbo Visma riders is the opposite of that. They've had 
world-class performance coaching and management one would think best in class now it won't it won't be perfect for every rider not every rider gets the best treatment at all teams even the best teams but on average those teams get the most out of their riders and i would question you know he's 25 about to turn 26 in a month he is light he's been on ineos since the middle of 2018 i know covid was in the middle of that but if he hasn't done big climbing performances from 20 to 30 minutes by now, why is it going to happen all of a sudden? And I question whether this guy can really shred a race for Yates. And this could be, again, we've got a new award. New award is the Jai Henley Award. And if you win the Jai Henley Award, it's when <laughs> I, I question the transfer <laughs> oh. And then you end up winning a grand tour the next year or doing <laughs> outperforming my expectation next year. So Eddie Dunbar could win the Jai Henley Award. So it's open, but I just I don't see it um, in terms of just turning into like a wait, yeah, that guy. I think if it was going to happen, it was would have happened already. And you you know, Tudor Hungry and Sediman, I'm sorry, but it's again it's ahead of Tullet, his teammate, and it's ahead of Tiberi, who's a time troll, like twenty year old on trek. They're two one races like yeah, it's. Uh, but I hope he does well, and maybe he'll get more leadership at Bike Exchange. Maybe that's the big change. Um, does that mean sorry, that Gaden Groves won a Jay Hindley Award when I called him a glorified Gandhi sprinter before he won status? No, Jai Hindley won the Jai Hindley Award this year. We need to have okay. a. Oh yeah, no, next year Jensen Plower will win the Caden Groves Award next year. <laughs> Um, <laughs> or, all so these awards yeah. man no Caden Groves is yeah is when we talk down a sprinter or Benji talks down a sprinter and then they turn into a world leader um, but the reason I've gone on that long rant right the reason I have is because Nick Schultz is rumored to leave and I don't he's from Brisbane but I never I never met the guy I don't know him I'm not friends with him but this guy came 11th on the Perigood stage 11 Tour de France Eddie Dunbar never shown that this year. And you're like, 11th, what, you know, well, that's, what does that mean? That was in the group. And he, by the way, he had, before then, he'd come second on the Mejev stage. He'd been riding as a domestique on, I think, the Carcassonne stage 15, maybe full grown of And this guy was doing, a, you know, different things throughout the Tour de France and, you know, nearly got pipped, or pipped on the line at Mejev. And then suddenly he's finishing with the Godu Quintana Menkes Vlaslov group. I, I don't yep. think he was in the break. I might be wrong. On the hardest ranked stage, maybe this Tour de France. And <laughs> he's making a group of 10, a group of eight in the Tour. And he's Australian. And he's in his prime. And he's, he's punchy. He came like 14th in flesh. And he's rumored to be leaving. I don't get it, Benji. It looks to me like Haig 2.0. Haig, who seemed to be preferenced below Hamilton and below Yates brothers yeah. when he's and then he left before his prime ended, probably in the Vuelta. Schultz looks like another rider who's slipping through the cracks, and wherever he goes, he could be a really top rider. He, he might bomb Arctic race now, and I look stupid, but <laughs> but he's shown what like I don't know. I just thought he was a must re-sign, and I would make him a second GC guy, and he'd probably cost less. I agree with the must resign. I'm not sure about the second GC guy yet. That's a bit of a, a stretch for me in my imagination so far. But I'd like to pull you back to the thing you said earlier in today's podcast. You said when a rider comes from Ineos, you expect them to have 
already tapped out everything when it comes to potential as possible. And you brought up that a team like Laporte's team, X-Team, Kofidis, for example, when going to Yumbo, was a team that was not necessarily the team that Laporte has had all his potential tapped out yet. Is Bike Exchange the kind of team that tactically closed off Schultz as a domestique in many occasions where a rider like Schultz comes out of and could have a higher potential than initially anticipated because of that? Bike Exchange is kind of an old school team where they have the leaders and they go into a race. And it's, it's funny listening to the Arctic Race interview of Dylan Groenewegen today where he said, yeah, it was difficult. I mean, I won the stage, but like we've got a mixed team here. We, we've got like, we're not just here for the sprint. I, I'm sort of, you know, got on the Armand Grindel Janssen. We've also got a couple of guys for GC. And I was like, yeah, that's what a lot of teams do. <laughs> they send a versatile team. Whereas Bike Exchange have often, they've been like, at the World Tour last year, you're not getting in the break. You're not doing that. You, we are going to chase down the break for a 2% chance of Matthews winning. Um, or, or Gronewegen winning. Dauphiné, for example, Benji. Like, yep. could Nick Schultz have done something different in Dauphiné? I don't know, but he probably wasn't even there. But uh, they just they were going for the Gronewegen. And then on GC, it's been the Yates brothers. Ev, the whole team is constructed around the Yates brothers. Didn't Caleb Ewan get left out of the tour and then left the team because they wanted to have nine guys <laughs> supporting Yates GC in, like, yep. 2018? Like, that's what I mean. And... So to answer your question, yes, I think guys, if if you're not on that pecking order where you're the leader, well, yeah, if you're chasing the break all day, like it's even if you do get an opportunity in one stage, well, if you've been chasing in forty degrees for two weeks, it's not great preparation for it. Um, so yeah, I think Schultz. It turns on the money, but I think he could be a decent pickup elsewhere. I would say though, bike exchange. I'm not saying they're like Cofidis where. They're getting maybe they don't have the best nutrition or TT stuff. Bike Exchange won two Grand Tour time trials with two different riders in the same Grand Tour. Like they must be doing something right in the TT. And I yeah. think they've got Gronovin climbing as best as he probably could. I think that stuff, they're actually quite good. It's just more opportunities. Um, so yeah, that's. And then Zana as well. They, they are signing a lot of Italian uh, riders. Like I think you're underrating Zana here a bit. Like who is he? I. Who is Filippo Zana? Filippo Zana is a rider that, just like you mentioned earlier, Italian champion, but I wouldn't really rate that necessarily that much considering the riders that were present in that race. I'm more looking at the likes of, uh, uh, I think he rode, what was it? Was it the Mallorca stage at the start of the year? Was very present there, very active, very similar there. Then we look at, Adriatica Ionica race, top three there. Yeah, okay, you're right. Okay. No, no, guess Benji. No, 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 you missed the goal. Guess who we beat in Saska last year? By the way, Bike Exchange go to Saska tour every year and then they sign. Edward Dunbar. No, Enemy. Oh, yeah. He came second. Oh, Johannesson. Yeah, so like, and that's a race that suits Johannesson. He beat Schultz too. Schultz came fourth. So I've just been talking up Schultz the whole time. Well, Zana beat him last year whilst at 22 years old. So I'm not criticizing Zana Stein. He's 23. His haircut in the PCS photo, it looks a bit fucked up. But uh, Italian (laughs) champion on Bardiani, you know, we we were at the Giro, Benji. Remember Bardiani? Those guys are doing the TT warm-ups in full sun. And we were like, like, their budgets are different. So I think that signing's fine. Um, 
I think he's okay. They can develop him all right. And Porter and Quick, Quick's a young sprinter. I think, you know, from Trinity, those guys are good signings, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I think the last one is Harper. And he's kind of the same, my Dunbar rant. It's that again in that he's been <laughs> on Yumbo. He's, what is he, 25 or so? I don't know how old he is. Um like what's what's the plan for Chris Harper? Is he just going to be twenty seven? Actually, he's turning twenty eight this year. Is he just a Damien Housen two point to do well in the Australian Conti circuit? Like, why Maybe. do you think they're signing him? And is there a problem? Yeah. Like, no Storer, no O'Connor, no Hague. Like, is he the premium Australian talent? No, he's not the premium Australian talent. Like his his biggest achievement in his career is. People thinking that he won a UAE tour stage when it was Vingegaard that did it instead. So he clearly is not the premium rider when it comes to Australian climbers when it comes to that. But he's a decent domestique in the climbing, I dare to say. But I rate him on the same level as Housen. Very inconsistent and hopefully decent enough to play a role for Bike Exchange. He's coming from a Yumbo team, similar to Ineos. That's a team where I see riders blossom and live up to their potential and therefore getting a rider Except from a team like that that's I true guess. that's yeah. very true actually but Paulus was also relatively young and was super young for yeah Gus, if i recall correctly at some yeah. points it's different when it's the guy who's like 20 you know turning 20 i think harper he had health issues i think last year he was a really really good like domestique ruler domestique in the dauphiné he was he pulled like for three hours every day i think he was fine there i don't think he's going to be on a million bucks but it just goes to show that like i think it's cheap yeah he i think it'll be relatively cheap as you said but it's like it's not going to change the team is it but he might be a committed domestique for yates and, and i think this is unfair in a sense the way i've looked through all of this in that it's not a transfer but they've extended simon yates simon yates can podium a grand tour in the future they extended Michael Matthews. He just won the Mond stage in Tour de France in really impressive fashion Mendy. in a different way. Is it Mendy? No. It's Mond. See, I, I get gaslit here. <laughs> I, I, I think my French is right. And it's the, it's the Jalabert climb. Um, like, why should I criticize them for not signing, quote-unquote, premium top-tier guys when – they have Matthews, who's a versatile guy who just won a Tour de France stage in Australia. They have Simon Yates. And I think Simon Yates is better in the next three years than Carapaz. So, I mean, depending on where Carapaz goes. So, <laughs> I don't know. Is Am I being overly critical is what I'm saying, Benji, on a team who've basically extended their top tier guys and they're just filling in the middle, the middle tier? I don't know. What is certain to me is that I feel like their women's team is becoming godlike at the moment. That's completely off topic when it comes to the men's team, though. But I think they should invest in designers for their jersey. I still think it's one of the ugliest kits of the Peloton. And I want to end on that now when it comes to bike. The extreme, winter kit's good. The winter is kit is much better. Yeah, I think the winter kit is really, really, really nice. The dark blue. But yeah, I agree. The tie dye needs a little bit of work. But yeah, they got Kronenwegen, they got Matthews, they got Yates. Um, I would just like, I just wanted them to extend Nick Schultz and maybe give him a bit of a chance. Anyway, that was Bike Exchange. Uh, Blake Quick, watch out for him winning a World Tour Sprint near you soon. 
Intermarche, last team on our list today. I know it's been a long one, and yeah, we've just been throwing around a lot of ideas. Rui Costa on a one-year, I think, the Portuguese former world champ veteran from UAE. Now, I was, everyone was like, what? What? Why is Rui Costa? I think, I think he's doing a Simon Clark. I think he's doing a prove-it deal on a team that's got guys going well again, like Jan Hit, like Tarame, like Menkes, like, well, yeah, like those three, and then he can get a nice deal again if he keeps going. Or maybe it's his last year. He just wants to end on high. That one's curious to me. They signed Dries de Puta, what a name, from Hagen's Birmingham Axion. Runa Herregots, who's really good. He's like sort of, I was going to say like Remco, but he's Aero guy, <laughs> one Andalusia breakaway. Arna Maritz, I think, is a sprinter from Sport Volander and Balmaza. Both yep. of them. Mattis Mikkels is one of these crop of Estonian. There's these Estonian under-23s juniors who are just like ridiculously good. He's one of them from Team Ampler. Uh, Tom Pacquo and Lawrence Rex from Bingol. I don't really know who they are. Benji can tell me because he's Belgian. And Mike Turnison from Jumbo Visma. So which, which of those do you like, Benji? Which of them surprised you? And which of them do you think are just kind of meh? When it comes to my first pick, it's Mike Turnus, and I want to talk about him. He comes from Jumbo Visma, a team where opportunities has not have not really arisen recently for him. He's fallen into a role where he's kind of on the brink of not being selected for the Cobble Classics, is what I felt like when it comes to certain stages, certain races. And he honestly hasn't had the best year of his career. Let's be honest about it. I think that he's going to play a significant role at Antomarché, together with Binyam in the Cobble Classics. Agree. And in other races, perhaps as well, together with Binyam. I feel like we spoke about Mike Turnison and Olaf Koy, potential lead out there at Jumbo if he stayed. When he was leaving now, he might still play a lead out role for Binyam, but I think his biggest role is going to be Binyam needs support in the couple races or a leader next to him, a co-leader that can fold into a domestique role when necessary in the finals of couple stages. And I think Mike Turnison is the perfect rider to do so, has experience, can deliver that, and is still relatively young so that he can get a second win in his own career. Because two years ago, we were saying Mike Turnison is arguably becoming the new Merku after that Tour de France lead out on the Champs-Élysées. And then he had a pretty meh year in 2022 when it comes to the cobble season. So I think Mike Turnison is currently underrated. Definitely in Paris-Roubaix, 11th, 7th. And he was the only Jumbo Visma rider who made that Ineos crosswind split this year. Yeah. He's the only one awake. I think Turnison, <laughs> yeah, he's a good rider. But I think it, it didn't make sense for Jumbo to extend him. If they have like they can't they can't say yeah Mike you got a chance at Rupe with Wout Van Aert and the team like it's just not possible. Yeah. I mean maybe maybe they sh- they should have. Um, yeah, I'm like I'm in severe doubts of it. I would have said during the couple of season yeah he's not good enough not resign him but like going across the year now I feel like more and more that Mike Turnison might have become an underrated rider because of just one year where he wasn't coming out really at the level that they expected him to be. This guy won in Brussels, won the yellow jersey in the Twitter front. That was not just 
out of the blue he had a proper kick sprint there he can perform that showed that ability in the sprint when it comes to lead outs later on that Paris Roubaix results pretty damn strong across the across the, I think Mike Turnison is going to do great at Antimatching and I think he's going to win a race next year yeah I mean he probably will but it might be like that Leuven race on Wednesday but <laughs> no I like you them Leuven <laughs> Is that what it was? All right. I think Poodle Levin is now called or something. I don't fucking know. The sight of Remco losing world champs. But yeah, I think Turnison, it, it makes, I think, more sense. It makes a lot of sense for Intermarche in both parties. Like, opportunities for him, and they need, with Christoph out, like, I think Turnison's a younger, maybe cheaper replacement for yep. Christoph, and they maybe 100%. see points galore from him. So I think it, it really makes sense for both. I like the signing. I'm, I'm really surprised Quickstep didn't sign Herrchotz or Marit. Like, I yep. really am. Maybe, I don't know how old Marit is, but definitely uh, no, Rune Herrchotz. He's 23. Like, I'm surprised. Usually the Balois, the guys often go to Quickstep, but they're nice pickups. And Mikkels, you just got to watch out for him. Like, he is, these Estonian guys are really talented. And, and notice, Intermarche, Jan Hit, maybe career year, over 30, gone, out to quick step, didn't match it. Quinton Hermans, career year, gone. I know he's in his 20s. Christoph, oh, great year. Shelter Price, Tour and Always stage, yeah, not, no classic, but points galore, gone. Didn't match the Uno X deal. And we'll talk about that a little bit now. Uh, you, you you just can't like if you're into Marche Benji that you cannot match a three year deal for Harold's Christoph like thirty four you cannot be matching that when he's thirty five and he's just turned thirty five a three year deal presumably on decent money like he it's just was, not gonna ha- yeah it, it makes more he, sense for Unix when he's Norwegian firmly agree I think he was on like high six figures based on. What I know about his deal at Antermarché itself, which I agree that a similar deal would not be worth extending, and especially when UNOX offers a three-year deal with like potential staff parts after it, most likely is what I'm guessing from what I see when it comes to mentorship and then role and so forth. So I think Christoph going to UNOX is a perfect ending to his cycling career while helping UNOX forward in that sense. But we'll talk about UNOX and Christoph a bit at a later point in a in a different oh, transfer talk about them now. No, I want to ask you now. You're the Uno okay. X Whisperer. I don't want to talk I'm about the, the other Uno X guys. Whisperer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I want to talk about Uno X then. I think when it comes to Uno X, it is underrated what Kristoff can bring to this team. I think, like, I've said enough. I hate when teams sign an old dude at three-year deals for ages in their team. Full-sang IPT. Exactly. Perfect example. But when I look at Kristoff in the last five years, he has scored the following points. 1.7k in 2018, 2.5k points in 2019. He's got 850 to 800 points in 2020 and 2021 each. And this year he is at 1.4k so far in the season. And that's without his victory at that recent random race, franco Belge Tour, whatever. So that was the or was that the Leuven race. Was, no. no, that wasn't the Leuven race. There's another race. <laughs> hey, they're somewhere. all the same. Why do you have so many of these races? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Why like, is this it's race? Belgium. It's, it's, it's a like <laughs> You got 200 UCI points. Oh don't my question God. my country, my friend. That's not okay. But <laughs> um, points. 
obviously signing a 35 year old for three years is risky you can't predict when the when the days of scoring is going to end but combining the value that this man has when it comes to uci points to their goal of becoming a a world tour team in 2026 which is still going to be hard regardless of signing uh christoph in this team even with a weak team of only 800 points that's more than any rider on unix right now so combine that with his commercial value in norway with mentorship for young riders and just this image in general i love it sorry fuck everything lovely signing i mean it's different right and and not all three-year extensions are the same, are they? Like, Alexander Kristoff and Balcomolomer are very, very different riders. Balcomolomer is a stage hunter, Lombardia sort of rider, hill classics, but it's got to go right for him. And he's not the sort of book him in for a Wednesday win. Like, he's not going to score consistent points necessarily. It's like yeah, Thomas but- de Gent. Thomas de Gent can go... Almost a whole year scoring. No, he scored fifty points in Catalonia last year. I know we're talking about points a lot. Wins matter too, but he won the Catalonia stage last year, and then nothing, absolutely nothing. I know he contributed maybe in leadouts, and then this year he won the Giro stage. But Christoph's the opposite to those sort of guys. He's like a consistent scorer. Now he might go from averaging fourth to sixth or second to fifth, but it still should be a decent haul of points across the three years. But there's also the aspect of like. Molema, when it comes to Trek, Trek's goal is not UCI points yet until they're in trouble in 2025, for example. But the goal of UNOX is clear. They want to get that World Tour aspect. And it's clear that Kristoff can help that happen. So I think that's also a vital difference between those two contracts. I do want to ask you, like, what's your take on World Tour UNOX? Because I do think you have a take on it. I think it's going to be extremely difficult if they do not expand the nationalities from which they are signing. I think it's noble, I guess, what they're trying to do with Danish and Norwegian riders only on the roster, but there's no other World Tour team currently with the uniformity of nationalities they have. FDJ have got Lithuanians, Australians, alongside their French riders. And if you don't have Pedersen, Vingegaard, uh, even Casper Pedersen, if you don't have those guys, well, are you going to be able to score enough points? And they started the year pretty hot, but I know they'll add Kristoff. And let, let, let me have a quick look uh, for Unimac. Now, listen, the point system might be completely overhauled, in which case this is all <laughs> irrelevant. But EF are having, quote-unquote, a shocker year from a points perspective now they still won Tour de France stage but from a points perspective having a shocker they're on 3,000 that's about 50% more points than UNOX now UNOX they're having an expanded calendar it keeps growing they did their first world tour stage race this year but you look at their roster Benji a lot of those guys are not even pro Conti contributors if we're honest they're not in terms of scoring points now Hulgard left to Trek he was one of those guys sort of in his prime and they got Rasmus Tiller. He, I think he did okay at one race, but he's not a consistent scorer. Crashed, if I recall. At okay. Am I stupid? Maybe he crashed, but he, he hasn't scored a lot of points. Even if, even if Christoph scores like, let's say averages over the next three years, he averages 1,200 points. And that would be ridiculous level for a 35 yep. to 38-year-old. And then Johansson 
averages 1,500 a year, which again, like that's regularly top five in World Tour GC. Where's the other points coming from? And I think that signing Danish and Norwegian guys, like I'm not sure who they, they sign Nicholas Egg, like those guys, they're, they're sort of giving, they're giving contracts to guys who've bounced out of a World Tour team, they're giving him a second chance, which is noble in a home sort of team environment. Noble cause, but from a ruthless points perspective, I don't think that's going to get done and they need to look a bit elsewhere. They need some sprint, more sprinters that are reliable on the pro-conti-conti circuit. You know what would kill me? Søren Kra Andersen is now leaving to Alpesen from the SM. He's another one. Asbjørn Kra Andersen is left over by, in a ditch somewhere by the SM. You know, X like is probably going to pick that up, is my guess. And I wouldn't want to see that because I don't think he's good enough to be on that team. He was the better rider when DSM signed the Kra Andersons, by the way. But Søren actually outgrew his brother. I think it's brother. Not even sure at this point. I think it's older brother, Asbjørn. And then Osbjorn is now basically left by the side of the road by DSM, most likely at the end of the season, unless he also signs for Alpesen, which I severely doubt because I doubt that Alpesen would make that mistake. That's one of the riders that I see UNOX taking on while it would not help them on their quest. Like you say, there are some riders in that team that would not help them in their quest. The women's team, I think, is expanding when it comes to nationalities. Perhaps that's a sign that the men's team might also do that. I don't know, but hey. That's, I think uh, they have to, Benji. Like yeah. Halverson's another one. They signed Halverson again. He, I think he, I don't know if they signed another rider who had the gut issues, who then had to retire. That was on EF, the sprinter, young sprinter who, who did well. Um, and he couldn't digest food, but like Halverson's not worked out. He's 26. He's got a contract for next year. And Larson Norman Hansen, I think he does a lot of track stuff. And yeah, like Sharmigs and Gregard are the second best sort of GC guys after Johannesson. But we're we're talking like Alex Arambru, uh, the godlike signing. Arambru, actually, no? I was shitting on Arambru a lot. I, th- I was thinking about it in the car because <laughs> I was in the Basque Country. Arambru is actually a fucking good rider. Like he's really, really good. Get the fuck out! <laughs> <laughs> I just. I think he's misused and mischaracterized. But yeah, you know, X, you, they need, because listen, uh, just a case in point. Johannesson, he is a special one and he's the right nationality. He could be special. But Gregard and Sharmig, they're not the level of a Yoni Zagira, Victor yep. Lafay, um, who's another Yoni Zagira, Victor Lafay, Guillaume Martin. Like Kofidis, we say, oh, they're a bit mad, but like Benjamin Thomas, they they have Axel Zingle. These are better riders, and they're the on the lower end of the world tour spectrum. And so it's going to be hard. And they've got Conti sprinters who do really well too. So they need – and this thing, it's like, oh, well, it's three years away. It's 2026. No, 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 no. It's in five months. In fact, no. it's in four months. Tour Down Under starts in January. Like, you, I'm sorry, I know uh, – points scored at the start of NBA games count for less than the end of NBA games. Same thing. Points, by the way, I know it might everyone's gonna they're gonna do the same thing, Benji. They were mad rush in 2025 hunting points. <laughs> if it's the same system, points count the same in 2023. In fact they'll be easier to obtain because people will take their foot off the gas. Yeah. So yeah, they maybe it's even too late. When it comes to UNOX, we see that they've got youngsters coming up like a Magnus Kulset and so forth, doing well in Giro U23, if my mind's certainly right. The question that I have is like, yeah, these riders are coming up. You're telling me, yeah, in three years they might come up and might be too late. 
is it also an issue that a Yumbo development team is taking away riders like Bestel and Hagenes, Stone Emitted, for example, very promising Norwegian riders, and that takes away from the talent that a Uno X can bring forth in the coming years that might take those points? That's where I think it's kind of fallen down, is that I, I you know, great, they're preferencing the their home riders for their sponsors, etc. But then you can't let the top one go. Like yeah. you got the top GC one, but you can't let the top classics one out of your grasp. And I don't know what happened. That was really done a while ago, but they might not. They're a much more attractive proposition, you know, X now from where they were three, two years ago. Christoph yeah. signing is an example of that. But yeah, like that's, if you're not getting him, you better be signing some other riders. And, you know, like a Filippo Zana who can develop into a, canny top 10 arctic race and dot pro gc races and and score some points like we see zingle and lafay doing for Cofidis, and they will continue doing next year um yeah interesting to watch um but that was five teams took a while we <laughs> yeah, I think it's about 15 left hopefully i mean there's some big names in there um we will do an emergency podcast when carapaz and when um cavendish are announced if they're uh, Cavendish is definitely leaving. I think Carapaz is supposed to be leaving as well. We will do emergency podcast there. We'll drop everything. Any last thoughts, Benji? Any last transfers? Any who who do you think is getting the Hindley Award this year? The Hindley Award. Ooh, I think I think the Hindley Award has not been spoken about yet in this podcast. I think he will. I was come. too balanced. Yeah. Nah, I think that these writers won't upset the way that a Hindley did. For example, I think. That will come in the next couple of podcasts or even perhaps in the team previews that we have at the end of the year. We might say, oh, this ride is going to be shit this year and then they will outperform anything we had in mind by then. So I've got the confidence that we're going to fuck up later and haven't fucked up yet. (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe. Philippe Ozana was, he was about five years younger and about eight times better than I thought he was. (laughs) So I checked his PCS quickly before I said He's actually not a bad rider. So he nearly got it, but not yet. I didn't make a big mistake yet. But thanks for listening. It's a big transfer roundup. It's a long one. We wanted to let our thoughts fly. Let us know if you enjoyed this uh, sort of format, just freely talking about it. Or, or yeah, just let us know what you think. Thanks to Zwift as always, and we'll see you with, the, uh, I guess, another podcast on the weekend with the wrap-up of the Scandinavia Tour and Euros. Ciao. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.